Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire to the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Thanks, Justin, for reading our scripture for today. Um, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. This is the quiet crowd. All right. Hey, my name is Alan, and I'll be, uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'll be teaching today's lesson. But thank you for coming. If you're our guest, uh, we'd love for you to catch up with us. We've been in the middle of this series called In the Beginning, which is we're walking through the book of Genesis. And so this is week five of our series. Our pastor, Pastor Bobby, has been teaching so far. So you can go back to our YouTube channel and on our website. You can catch up with us and see, uh, also see him preach as well since he's not here today. Um, but we've been talking through the book of Genesis, and we started with Adam and Eve, right? First uh, chapter in the whole Bible talks about Adam and Eve and creation. We talked about how that everyone is made in God's image and how we should be treating each other, how we should be loving each other simply because we each bear the image of God. And then we talked about Noah and his obedience and what he did, what he, what he did for God. And so we talked about, even in that week, we talked about Micah 6.8, which tells us to walk humbly with God. Noah was walking humbly with the Father. And then we got into Abraham and Sarah and their whole story. And what we realized there was that God will take our circumstances, even though we mess them up, we get promises from God. God promises us something. Many times we try to get it into our own hands and do it our own way. But yet God's still faithful in his promises to us even when we mess up. And so those are where we've been. And so now we're moving into the story of Esau and Jacob. So that's where we're going to be today as we, as we continue the series. Um, but I, I love the book of Genesis. It's a great book because, um, first of all, if you grew up in church, I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. We heard lots of these stories in Sunday school. And I was unaware of how much of the really cool stories in the Bible all happened in book number one all in Genesis. All 50 chapters of Genesis covers a lot of ground that you maybe have heard of when you were a child in Sunday school classes. 
And it's really cool to see how God uses people in these situations. I mean, in fact, these, the, book of the, the book of Genesis has a lot of wild and crazy stories in it. And we see in these stories as well how messed up humans are. But at the same time, how much God comes right, right back around and fixes things. We see how God takes, we realize in these situations that we're not the heroes of the story. We're not the heroes of the, of the book called the Bible, that God is, and what he does for us is the hero of the story. And so that's what I love about the Bible, is that I can, I can relate to people who are as messed up as I am, who make as many mistakes as I do, and I can go, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. And so that's what I love about the, about the, uh, about the Bible. Um, Andrew Greeley says it this way, God draws straight with crooked lines, right? God comes back in and, and fixes things for us. Uh, I have two small children. I have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old, and we used to read to them and still read to them some, the book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's a great book for kids, and basically says this, the point of the Bible is that God's the hero, that it's not a book of just do's and don'ts. It's not a book of um, just a bunch of heroes we should try to be, uh, lead by example or be examples of, that the Bible is a story of who God is and what he's done for us. And so we've sang that this morning. We've talked about what God's done for us, uh, how he continues to give us grace, even when we don't really deserve it. And so it's a really cool thing to see what happened. And so when we get to these stories, it's gonna be fun. And so uh, I'm glad to do this. Now, how many of you have a sibling? Anybody got a sibling? I am a little brother. Who's the youngest sibling? Anybody else the youngest sibling in the room? All right, we're going to relate a lot today. So this is going to be fun. So I'm the youngest brother. I have an older brother. He's six years older. The fun part about him, though, is now that we're older, I don't look six years younger anymore, and it hurts my feelings. So, like, we've been together. We've been out and about, and they're like, oh, so your brother's, who's the oldest? And I'm like, what do you mean who's the oldest? He is obviously the oldest. He looks way older than me. I've always had that younger brother thing going on. And so we, we have your typical, your stereotypical relationship, right? Me being the younger brother, I was as annoying as possible. Anybody else annoying as possible as a younger sibling? Cool, thanks. And my brother, well, my brother was the mean jerk older brother. Who in here is the mean jerk? We're, we're confessing everything today, y'all. Who's the mean older sibling? No one confesses to that one. All right, a couple of you. Well, my brother would mess with me so many times, and here was one of his favorite things to do. He would take his class ring, you know, that ring you get as a junior in high school, and he would turn that thing upside down inside of his hand. Anybody else know this kind of thing? And then he'd go, whap, and just hit me upside the head with his ring, and that hurt like crazy, right? That's why I don't have hair now. That took so many hits to the head that it just, I couldn't even, I just said, it was gone. But he was mean, right? He was always picking on me. He had the perfect timing, older brothers is the older sibling thing, the perfect timing to hit me so that I would hit him back as soon as who walked in, right? Or as soon as mom and dad walked in the room, they see me swinging, right? It's like watching sports this day and you notice that it's the, it's the second punch that always gets the penalty, right? My brother was the king of that when we were younger. He was just a jerk. No, I'm just kidding. He's great. We're good friends now. That was a long time ago. We went through a lot of counseling for that. We're good. But uh, we're both in ministry this day and age, and we talked just this past week. It's a good stuff. But I'm the younger sibling. And so we're going to talk about siblings a little bit today. Now, also, in my former life, I am a recovering youth pastor, right? I was a youth pastor. I worked with middle school and high school students for 10 years. Um, we have several recovering youth pastors on our staff, along with Pat, who is our current youth pastor who's going strong. Um, but we, I, used to, I did that for 10 years. And in my life as a youth pastor, um, I had seven principles that I taught our students all the time. 
that I just wanted to, when they walked away from my ministry and they walked away from high school, they at least remember these seven things. Well, they might not remember seven of them, but most of them remember this one because I preached it all the time and I pushed it all the time. And here's what I would tell our students uh, back this day. Your friends will determine the direction and quality of your life. I'll say it again. Your friends will determine the direction and quality of your life. If you're a middle school, high school student here, it's true. Your friends have so much influence over you. Your friends will make you do things you said you'd never do, right? You, your friends will encourage you. Now, hopefully, th this is just a principle. It's not a negative or a positive. It's a principle. So the positive can be there too. Your friends can determine the direction and quality of your life by helping you do the right thing. But if you, you, you can allow positive peer pressure to happen. And that's just not a principle from there. It actually comes from Scripture. It comes from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. And here's what it says. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. So if anybody here wants to get smarter, more wise, which let me help you with wisdom for a second too. Wisdom is the knowing the difference between right and wrong and choosing to do what's right. That's wisdom. Foolishness, knowing the difference between right and wrong, choosing to do what's wrong. In both cases, you know the difference between right and wrong. You can just say, I'm a wise person, and we'll see that you're a wise person by you doing the right thing. Or we can say, hey, you're foolish because you're choosing to do the wrong thing. But Proverbs 13 says, your, your friends will determine. That, and it doesn't say you might suffer harm. You could suffer harm. The verse actually says, you will suffer harm. And so for us, for, for students, you need to make sure that your friends are not having that much effect on you. Or if they are, they're pushing you in the right direction, not pushing you in the wrong direction. And so I talked to that students a hundred times in my career, my 10 years, I, would, I was constantly doing it because I was just watching their friends peer pressure them into anything. Well, for adults, I mean, yes, that can still happen, right? We still are peer pressure and stuff, but we're adults now, right? We don't really have that problem, right? We're, we, we've kind of got past our friends influencing us that much. But there is another word that I would put in there besides friends. And it's the word we're going to talk about today. It says this, your appetite will determine the direction and quality of your life. As an adult, your appetite or your appetites. Another word for this would be your desires, the things that make you do what you do. Now, when you first think about appetite, what do you think of? Food, right? It's easy, food. Some of you have an appetite problem with food. Some of you don't. Most of us do, right? I, my appetite for food, I love food, right? I work out so I can eat whatever I want, right? I, that's why I choose to work out so I can go eat the food I choose to eat. I don't like diets, right? Food's one of them. What, what would be another appetite we would have as an adult? We're going to talk together today. I was a youth pastor, so I'm used to like messing with crowds. What other, what other kind of appetites would we have? Career, correct. You have an appetite for your career. You want to get to the top or be the best, whatever it may be. What else? We're going to be quiet. Say again? Vacation. Vacations, right? Yes. Leisure, relaxing. We have an appetite for that. Appetite for money, right? You have appetite. You'll do things for money, right? What else? You're quiet. Say again? Power. power, yeah? We have an appetite for power. We want to be in control. All kinds of appetites will get us in trouble. And here's the truth about an appetite, all right? Appetites were created by God. He gave us appetites. And then the fall, when sin, once sin entered the world, our appetites got jacked up. So appetites in and of themselves aren't wrong. You have to eat, right? In fact, I'll, I'll help you out with this one. All of you are here because of the appetite of lust. That's why you're, you're alive, right? 
Now, it's not, it's, the appetite of for sex, for lust, is not wrong. God gave us that appetite. It's just he wants it in the right place. He wants it in the right boundaries. The way we used to teach this as well is like fire. How many of you play with fire? Anybody admit to being a person that plays with fire? Okay, right? Grilling food, right? Maybe your job, you have to use fire. Fire can be a good thing, correct? Fire can keep you warm. Fire can cook your food. Fire can purify things. Some of you may work with fire if you weld or anything of those kinds of natures. It's a good thing. Fire can be a good thing. So as we used to teach students, fire in the fireplace is great. It's when it gets out of the fireplace that it can burn your, ha- burn your house down. You have to put these, put these appetites and put these things in the right priorities, the right boundaries. And so when we say your appetites will determine the direction and quality of your life, what we are saying is you have to make sure your, your appetites are in check with what God wants us to have. Because nothing about appetites is this. Yes, God created them, and yes, sin messed them up. So when they're messed up, an appetite is never fully satisfied. Right? An appetite is never fully satisfied. You get hungry, you eat, right? You eat till you're full. What happens a couple hours later? You're ready again, right? The phone with this one, money. Money is a great appetite. But some of us, we get a little bit of money, and what do we do? We, want, we spend it, but we want more too, right? I remember reading a book back in the day, talked about how, have you seen those videos on YouTube where um, somebody gives like a homeless person uh, a pizza, and then we watch that homeless person start giving out that pizza to their, to, to their friends. They find no security in that pizza. They just, hey, cool, pizza, but I'm going to share it. What, what, the, what the videos and what the book's going to talk about is most of us, the more money we get, the more we want to hold on to it for ourselves. We start finding our security in it. We allow this habit of money to become part of what uh, we hold on to for us, not, not generous. We, we, we become less generous. That's why we teach around here. We practice extravagant generosity because we don't want the appetite of money to be so tightly held on to us. And I'll be honest, it's not about it for she, uh, just you, for me too, right? I, I can't wait for that third stimulus check now, right? That's money that I can spend on who? Y'all? Am I going to give the money to you? <laughs> Probably not, right? I'm going to spend it on me, right? Or my family or my things. Appetites are never fully satisfied. We'll get things, we'll get things, we'll get things, and we only want more. We're never fully satisfied. We're never content, right? And the last thing about appetites is this. Appetites focus on the here and now more than the future. Our appetites, man, once they get going and once it's in, 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 in effect, we are only thinking about what's going on right now. We're not thinking about what's happening in the future. And so we have to pay attention to our appetites. Our appetites will determine the direction and quality of our life. And so when we go into the scripture today, when we go into the story, we want you to understand kind of what's going on. We want you to see that how um, they can be overpowering, even if you are a Christian. If you've been a Christian a long time, when I worked with students, we would go to camps, and at camps, we would discuss all types of desires and appetites that we want to get rid of. And because we're in a camp moment, it's just perfect and good, and we're going to stop doing those things because God's with us. And then what happens the next day we come around and back into our environments. Those appetites are appealing. Those appetites become overpowering. We don't know what to do with those appetites because we haven't learned to control them. We haven't learned to keep them within their boundaries. It happens for us here. If you've been around this church any length of time, in the month of September, we do a thing called the 930. And the 930 is simply us a way f- for us to pray and fast together as a church. 
Well, in those prayer and fasting moments, we'll be going, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna let this desire overpower me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick this habit to the curb. I'm gonna kick this appetite to the curb. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna take care of it. And then what happens October 1st? That appetite shows right back up. Because the truth is, the appetite's never fully satisfied and they weren't necessarily made to be, getting, to be gotten rid of. They've simply been made to control, made to keep in boundaries, made to, to keep there. So we have to make sure that we're paying attention to our boundaries. So we're going to go into a story today. You heard Justin read it a few minutes ago. We're going to get to the last four or five verses of this story in the book of Genesis to kind of see how these two brothers dealt with these things and how we can, we can look at them, all right? So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34. We're going to read these again together. Here's what it says. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And Jacob said to me, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The scene, the story starts out with these two brothers doing the things that they, they do, right? Jacob in the tent, hanging out, making food. Esau going out and working and being in the field and hunting and doing those kinds of things. We see them start. It tells us that Esau was exhausted, right? Some translations say that Esau was faint, weary, hungry, famished. If I had a translation, my translation would say that Esau was hangry, right? You know, ever been, ever, ever been hangry before? You're so hungry, you're angry, right? Just feed him something. They'll be right there. That's a Snickers commercials, right? That kind of thing. Side note here is it's never a good thing to make big decisions when you're in this state. When your emotions are jacked up or when you're tired or when this, that is the perfect time for the devil. The Bible tells us he's roaring around, roaming around, waiting to pounce, waiting to get us. Usually when we're hungry, when we're tired, right? When we're weak, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed. So uh, just a quick side note, take a nap, eat something, sleep on it for the night before you make big decisions. Don't make any crazy decisions when you're hungry, when you're hurting, when you're stressed. It's simple, simple stuff. But here he was, he was hangry and he wanted to eat. And he said, give me some of your stew. Now in this situation, Jacob, being a great younger brother, right? He, should, he was like, oh, yes, here, brother, have some of my stew. I've been, I was thinking about you while you were out in the field and while you were hunting. I knew you'd be hungry when you came back, so I'd already made a bowl for you, right? Is that what the story tells us? No. Jacob, being the younger brother, which, in fact, we'll learn about later on in a few weeks and as we go through more of, of Genesis, he's a con man, Right? He's, he's always trying something. In fact, the verses before this tell us that they were twins, right? Brothers, but they were twins specifically. That he was clutching Esau's foot coming out of the womb. Jacob's appetite from the get-go was for his brother's position. He wanted to be his brother from the get-go. He was only minutes apart, right? We got any twins in here? I know we have some twins in our church. Minutes apart, it, it could have been him. It was a five-minute difference. He would have been the older brother, right? So Jacob could have been the nice, loving, younger brother and said, sure, brother, here's some food. I know you've been working hard. No, that's not what he does, does it? What does he do? What does he say to him? He says, sell me your birthright. What? I just want some food. I just, need a, I just, want, just want a bowl of stew. What do you mean I got to sell you my birthright? Jacob, the younger brother, went for the jugular, right? He went for it all. He wanted to know, he wanted to get from Esau what he had been hoping for this whole time. 
And unfortunately, Esau, being in the situation he's in, goes for it. So let's understand what a birthright is, right? How many of you know what a birthright is? Nope, cool, I won't tell you. Good, a few of you, don't, don't raise your hands. I can tell people about it. A birthright in the Jewish tradition is simply this, right? The oldest son gets two-thirds of the inheritance of his father. And then the siblings, the rest of the siblings, split the one-third. That's a pretty good deal, right? So in this situation, Jacob and Esau, it's two-thirds for Esau, one-third for Jacob. So the inheritance, the money. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've had family or friends or know a family or friends who have fought over inheritances, but this is this moment. Two-thirds, one-third, right? Also, in this culture, if you're the older sibling, you become the judge of the family, meaning that when dad's gone, I'm in charge, right? I get this. And then thirdly, the birthright symbolized just a general sense of blessing on your life. You're just kind of known as ah, the older sibling, the blessing of them. And so here, Jacob, whose appetite was for his brother's stuff the entire time, seizes the opportunity. Oh, my brother's hangry. I can get him now. Sell me your birthright for one meal. Just because you're hungry one time. And what's Esau's response? Esau said, what good is my birthright? I'm about to die. Now, the truth is this. Was he about to die? Probably not, right? He, he, he walked in on It's not like Jacob went out to the field and was roaming around looking for Esau, and Esau was passed out in the field almost dead. Esau came back to, to, to the house, came back to the homes, came back to the tents and said, hey, man, I'm starving. That food looks good. Give me some of it. And so it wasn't as if his, his situation was as drastic as he thought it was. But yet he was willing to give it up right then and there. And we, we kind of go, wow, how is, he, how is he really, really, how is he willing to give that up? How is he willing to allow his appetite to mess up the direction and the quality of your life? And you may be going, well, I mean, he just gave him his birthright. I mean, that's some money in the future, right? I guess he won't be in charge. Maybe I don't want to be in charge. I, wouldn't, I don't want to be in charge either. Why, why is it such a big deal? Well, we see in the Bible how big of a deal this blessing and the situation is. In fact, one book over from Genesis to the book of Exodus, we get to this guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses. Moses was a guy who was put, his mama put him in water because they were killing all the babies like him, put him in water. Egyptians found him, uh, took him in, raised him, right? Then later on, good, the Bible's full of some crazy stories. You need to read it. If you're not reading it for yourself, read it for yourself. He kills an Egyptian, gets seen killing the Egyptian, takes off, runs away, gets out of Dodge. While he's out of Dodge, he's out in the field. He sees this bush burning, right? And the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. It's not consumed. And so he's like, what in the world is going on here? So he comes over to the bush, right? If you know any of your Bible stories, but I'm helping you out. Comes to the bush. God talks to him through the bush. He says, look, you're in holy ground. Take off your shoes. So he takes off his shoes, listens to God. And, and uh, Moses says, who are you? And listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Right? It should say Esau. Because Esau was the older brother. Esau had the birthright. If we go back in time, we go, Esau, Esau, Esau. You're going to give up being known for, for just a bowl of food, one time, one meal. 
That better be the best stew you've ever, even at that, that's not good enough, right? In fact, not even in that moment. So we see that in Moses' moment. Later on in the Bible, in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, when Jesus is getting ready to show up on the scene, we're getting ready to tell everybody about Jesus. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Esau and the father of Judah and his brothers. Well, who is it there again? Jacob. He was giving up all, his future was determined because of an appetite that he had, that he didn't contain, that he didn't pay attention to, that he was willing to, in the moment, give up just because he was hangry. Who would do that? Why would we do that? Do you see how I switch it up there? Who would do that? Why would we do that? Why would you do that? I wouldn't, I would never do that. Yes, you would. You've given up things for your appetites, right? You've messed things up because you chose for the here and now, I'm going to do this because it's what my appetite's telling me to do versus I know this is not what God has promised for me or what God would want from me, right? It could, be, it could literally be food, right? Some of us in America in general, we struggle with food. It could be a lot of other things. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be success. It could be just the newness of things. You've got to always have the newest stuff, the newest car, the newest iPhone, the newest things, just because you had that appetite to be the first to have something, to have always have something new, that you are messing up the future. The appetite for a career, that you are giving up your family because you think the career is where it's going to be. Yet your family's over going, hey, hey we, we matter too. Don't give us up for this. We, 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 want, we want to be known. We want to be, we want to be a part of this. Unfortunately, some of you, you have been the victim of appetites. You're sitting there going, yeah, I know exactly all about this. My dad ran off because of this. Or my mom ran off because of an appetite. Appetites will determine the direction and quality of your life. You have to keep them in control. You have to keep them within the boundaries of what God has called you for. And so we see all of this happening. We see all this happening. So just a few, few points we want to make from these stories. The first one is this. Both Jacob and Esau's futures were affected by their appetite. The good thing about all these stories in Scripture, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, is it's not as if uh, there's one good person in the story and one bad person in the story, and that's it. They're all jacked up. That's what the Bible is helping us understand. Everyone's jacked up. He's got to come in and fix the day. He's got to come in and, and fix the things. But we see that Jacob had an appetite for his brother's position, for his brother's birthright. It affected his whole life. Now, it looks good because we saw in the stories how, how, he, how he talks about Jacob being uh, in the lineage of God. But Jacob, as we'll see in a few weeks, as Pastor Bobby continues this series, Jacob gets messed up by this too. This principle comes back to bite him in the butt too. And then we see in this moment too that Esau is willing to give it up. What, what have you given up because you wanted something right now, you had to have it right now, that you rise into the future? Man, that, that messed me up. But Esau, they, both had, they both had appetites they needed to work on. The second thing was this, what are you willing to give up for a bowl of stew? Think back to a time in your life where you're like, gum, I made a bad decision there. That was the wrong choice because I was only thinking about the here and now versus what the future 
had to play. And what does that bowl of stew in front of you? And, and here's the truth. Say it out loud. I used to work with a guy in ministry. Um, his name was Jeff. And uh, we used to say it all the time. Just say out loud what you're getting ready to do or what you want to do. Because sometimes the fact that you're just saying it out loud, you just, it goes, oh, gosh, that sounds terrible. I don't need to do that. Because in our own minds, in our own desires, in our own appetites, when we just stick in our own head, we can rationalize just about anything, Right? We can think to ourselves and just think about it long enough to go, now this really is okay. It's okay for me to do these things because I deserve this or I da, 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 and, and we say da, da, da. But when we start talking to some people and we say out loud what we want to do, we start going, oh gosh, that sounds awful. I should not do that. <laughs> I mean, it helps you make choices. But what, what, are you, what are you trying to, what are you giving up for a bowl of stew? Is it your, is it your job? Is it a relationship? For some of you, some of you in here are single or single again. What are you giving up in to get a new relationship that you know God may know this, this not, and that's not in the boundaries of what God would call us to do. But you're so desperate, A, because you're an adult and you can do what you want. But you're willing to not do it God's way simply because you want, you want the here, the now. I want the love. I want the acceptance you're willing to trade it for a bowl of stew. I was lucky enough, I was so honest with a friend one time, a student I had, I told him, I was like, do you trust God to bring the right girl into your future? And he said, nope. I was like, well, at least you're honest. At least you're honest to kind of go, nope, I gotta do it. I know what I want. I know what I'm looking for. I'm not gonna wait on God. I'm gonna do it myself. Again, his appetite was just simply to know that he could do it. It was his thing. But maybe God, maybe your future would look like that of the, of the scriptures when we say, I waited and I waited and I waited and it felt like I was waiting forever, but then God showed up. And then God writes about you and how that you contained and managed and kept your appetites within a boundary that was inside of his boundaries and you got what God wanted for you. And you didn't have to go, man, I messed that up because I was too impatient. I wanted the here. I wanted the now. All kinds of things. We can pick on individuals. You know what's going on in your life. You know what appetites you've had in your life. I don't have to give you an, give an example of every single one. You live your life. You, you, you go before God. What are those appetites? What are you doing? But I don't just want to step on your toes the whole time. I don't want to just make us feel bad. That's not the whole point of this. We want to walk away. We are preachers of the good news. And so we're going to get to the good news. The good news in all this is this, is that you can, can you see God's grace in all of it? God offers us grace. It doesn't become good news without understanding the bad news of where we mess up. But God's the hero of the story. He offers us grace, Right? You know who he dealt with? You know where, who we see him giving the most grace to in Scripture? People who messed up the most. Not the religious people. Not the people who thought they had it all together. Nah, my appetites are fine. I'm good. It's the prostitutes. It's the people who don't look good in society that God lavishes grace on. And the truth is, he lavishes his grace on all of us. That's what we were singing earlier. God is good to us. He's so good. And so while our appetites are important, and I really do believe that they will 
determine the direction and quality of your life, I believe just as much that God's grace covers it all. And that his goodness to us can help us. And that our future is bright, right? The song we sang a few minutes ago simply said that uh, it's for the here and for the now and the future. His goodness to us on the cross, him coming to live on this earth and to go through the appetites that we went through, right? The book of Hebrews tells us that he, he was tempted just like any other man. That when, we go, when he went through the appetites and he was obedient, he took our place for us and offers us that grace. So it's such a great thing. But the Bible also tells us, as Paul did, that there's no, there's no temptation that's not common to man and that he will offer a way out. And so that's the good news for us today. He offers you a way out of the appetite. He offers you a way out of, of the situation, of the temptation. It's just that you got to know that his grace is there for you to do it. And that his grace covers it. His grace covers not, maybe not every consequence. You may still suffer some consequences for your actions. But ultimately, the position you hold, the position that Jacob wanted in this whole situation, the position that Esau wanted in this whole situation, was a, was a position that God is covering them, that God's grace is good for them. And so what is it for you? What, what, what is it that you may need to, to stop doing? Maybe you need to start talking to somebody about the appetites that you have and that you can't figure out a way to take care of them. You can't figure out a way to keep them within the bounds of what God would call us to do. Find somebody to talk to. We have people, we'll be outside after the service is over at the next steps there. They'd love to talk with you. I prayed with a couple after the first service right now here. We'd love to do that again. We can have some pastors show up and, and pray with you. We want you to keep the appetites that God has given you inside the bounds that he calls you to be. That we know some of these things get messed up, but that God's grace covers it all. Let me pray for us and we'll continue on from there. So God, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that we can learn that the book of Genesis happening so long ago um, is applicable to us today. The God, we can see how the sibling rivalry, we can see how uh, the desire for certain things, the appetite for certain things can really uh, mess us up. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can learn these kinds of principles, that these things direct and, and, and affect our lives, but that most of all, God, you create new lives in us. You also tell us in the Bible that the old is gone, the new has come when we're new creations in you. God, your grace is good to us. So God, I pray that, um, that we would just be honest today. We'd be honest with a spouse. We'd be honest with a friend. We'd be honest with a volunteer who's here at church. But there may be some appetites that are out of control. That if we're not careful, um, they're, they're going to take our life in a direction that would not be honoring to you. But God, mostly it has to happen individually. It has to happen between you and that person. And God, you tell us in the Bible that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that leads us to turn around to stop allowing that appetite to have so much control. And God, you offer grace, full grace, all the grace possible. And you will lead us out. You will give us ways out. And God, you will cleanse us. 
from all unrighteousness is what the Bible says. So God, help us today. Allow us to be the type of person that can be honest. We can, we can admit like the book of Genesis tells us and all throughout the scriptures, we are messed up. But that God, you can draw straight with crooked lines. That God, you can, you can help us. You want to help us. You desire to help us. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.